Welcome to the Verity Podcast for Saturday, February 17th, 2024, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Melissa Topshire. And I'm Eric Steiner. Here's a look at today's top stories. Russian opposition politician Alexei Navalny dies in prison. An FBI informant is charged with lying about Biden's bribe claims. Trump's Stormy Daniels hush money trial is set for March. Israel responds to South Africa's urgent request in its ICJ genocide case. Israeli military intelligence warns Hamas will survive the Gaza war. Britain's Labour Party wins big in a special election. Greece legalizes same-sex marriage. The U.S. Border Patrol's second-in-command is suspended for alleged misconduct. Tech giants pledge to fight AI election interference. And OpenAI launches a new AI video creation tool. In our top story, the Russian opposition leader Navalny dies in prison. The facts are agreed upon by the Moscow Times, TASS, RT, Wall Street Journal, CNN, and BBC News. Prominent Kremlin critic and opposition leader Alexei Navalny died Friday at age 47 in a high-security prison above the Arctic Circle, where he was serving a 19-year sentence on charges of fraud and extremism. The Yamalo Nenets branch of the Federal Penitentiary Service confirmed the death. Navalny allegedly felt unwell after a walk in Penal Colony No. 3 in the Yamalo Nenets region, losing consciousness almost immediately. According to penitentiary authorities, medics promptly arrived to revive him but failed. The cause of death has yet to be established, but a source on Russia's state-backed RT news outlet claimed Navalny had a blood clot. However, his lawyer insisted, quote, everything was normal Wednesday when they last met. This deals a harsh blow to the opposition just a month ahead of the presidential election in which Vladimir Putin is anticipated to win a fifth term in office. Navalny had sought to encourage Russians to vote against the incumbent, as well as to head to the polls on the stroke of noon in a show of dissent. Navalny rose to international fame for his opposition to Putin, particularly after he was poisoned with the Soviet-era nerve agent Novichok in 2020 and spent months recovering in Germany before returning to Russia. Navalny is the latest in a string of notable Russian figures to have died with Wagner boss Yevgeny Prigozhin being killed last year in a plane crash after leading his forces in an armed mutiny, and Putin critic Boris Nemtsov being shot dead near the Kremlin in 2015. Those were the facts, and here are the narrative spins, starting with an anti-Russia narrative from The Atlantic. Even if it's true that Navalny died from natural causes, Putin and the Kremlin are responsible for his death because Navalny was isolated in the Arctic Circle despite being in ill health for months. After giving his life to prove that civic courage is an ideal worth pursuing, Navalny is a hero and a symbol for his countrymen in their battle against Putin's dictatorship. Sputnik International has a pro-Russian narrative. Navalny's sudden death has come as a shock to everyone, and it seems that unfounded Western allegations against the Kremlin for this incident were prepared long ago. Given their uninspired reaction to the torture and death of U.S. citizen and journalist Gonzalo Lira in a Ukrainian prison, the media should show more restraint and wait for the official results of medical examinations. And on this program, we often have a nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community. And this one says there's a 50% chance that Putin will cease to hold the office of President of Russia by January 3rd, 2029. An update on Hunter Biden as a whistleblower is charged with lying to the FBI. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, CNBC, Fox News, and The Wall Street Journal. The Justice Department on Thursday arrested Alexander Smirnov, 
who as an FBI informant claimed President Joe Biden and his son Hunter were involved in corrupt deals with Burisma, a Ukrainian energy company, for lying to the bureau. Smirnov was charged with two counts of allegedly lying to the FBI. The DOJ claims Smirnov falsely said Burisma said it hired Hunter to protect us through his dad from all kinds of problems. And he also lied when he said Burisma paid the Bidens $5 million. The DOJ believes Smirnov's claim that Burisma paid off the Bidens while the elder Biden was U.S. vice president so that it could stop a 2016 criminal investigation into the company was false because he didn't develop contact with Burisma until after Biden left office. The indictment, which was brought as part of a special counsel David Weiss's protection of Hunter Biden on gun and tax charges, also included text messages from Smirnov to the FBI handler in 2020, in which he said Biden was, quote, going to jail, and that Democrats had tried to impeach Trump for the same. Representative James Cormer, Republican of Kentucky, chairman of the House Oversight Committee, and one of the leaders of the impeachment inquiry of the president, called the FBI's actions very concerning since his requests for a form containing Smirnov's testimony had been rebuffed because the Bureau wanted to protect a credible source. Comer accused the FBI of not doing anything to verify Smirnov's testimony until the congressional request was made. Comer added that Republicans aren't relying on Smirnov's testimony in their impeachment inquiry. Melissa, thanks for the facts. The first spin is a Democratic narrative coming from the New Republic. Unsurprisingly, House Republican star witness is a fraud. The FBI kept Smirnov's testimony under wraps because it knew it contained biased and unsubstantiated claims the GOP would have celebrated as true. Even Republicans knew Smirnov was shady, but they were willing to look the other way in order to advance their fraudulent impeachment inquiry. And here's a Republican narrative from The Federalist. If Weiss really didn't investigate Smirnov's claims until recently, this is an impeachable dereliction of duty. Smirnov's claims were serious, and now it seems almost too convenient that his indictment might overshadow legitimate evidence against the Bidens. In addition, if the DOJ is in the mood for indicting informants, it should go after those who fabricated evidence in the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. The nerds from Metaculus have an opinion on this story as well. They say there's a 24% chance President Biden will be impeached by the House of Representatives. The Trump hush money trial is set for March 25th. The facts are agreed upon by CNBC, Al Jazeera, Guardian, CBS, Fox News, and Associated Press. On Thursday, Judge Juan Merchant rejected former U.S. President Donald Trump's request to dismiss the case related to his alleged hush money payments to adult film actress Stormy Daniels and confirmed jury selection will begin as scheduled March 25th. Trump was present in the courtroom where he reiterated claims that the charges are political attacks by Democrats. The former president and GOP frontrunner faces a 34-count indictment for allegedly falsifying business records to cover up a $130,000 payment to Daniels before the 2016 election. Trump's attorney, Todd Blanche, argued that the imminent trial date violates the Constitution and hampers his legal team from preparing for three other criminal trials. He also claimed the trial would interfere in the election since it limits Trump's ability to campaign during the presidential primary season. This will be the first of Trump's four criminal trials. Merchant assured Trump will not be asked to, quote, be in more than one criminal trial at once, adding that this trial is expected to last six weeks. Outside the courtroom, Trump criticized Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, a Democrat who launched the first criminal indictment against Trump last April, 
By lamenting New York City's rising crime and alleging Bragg unevenly applies the law. In addition to this case, Trump faces a trial regarding alleged taking of classified documents starting May 20th in looming trials for his election interference case in Washington, D.C. and Atlanta. Thank you, Eric, for those facts. Here's a Republican narrative from the Gateway Pundit. This sham case shouldn't be allowed to proceed. Even some liberals acknowledge that Bragg's half-baked assertions that Trump violated campaign finance laws by making hush money payments are ridiculous. Yet partisan judges will do anything to force Trump to be in the courtroom instead of campaigning. The Democratic narrative comes from the New Republic. Trump's claim that a presidential candidate is shielded from criminal prosecution was weak at best, and it's shameful that any lawyer would have offered it. Thankfully, Murchan rejected his preposterous notion, and now Trump will be treated like any other defendant. And there's another nerd narrative from Metaculus. This one says there's a 50% chance that Trump will be convicted of a felony before the 2024 presidential election. Israel responds to South Africa's urgent request in its ICJ genocide case. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Times of Israel, the International Court of Justice, Sky News, and the United Nations and the UN Human Rights Office of the High Commissioner. Israel on Thursday responded to South Africa's latest application to the International Court of Justice, or ICJ, which called on the court to take additional measures against Israel's military operations in the Gaza Strip. In a three-page filing with the court, lawyers for Israel reiterated their view that South Africa's application is wholly unfounded in fact and law, morally repugnant, and represents an abuse both of the Genocide Convention and of the court itself. The ICJ last month found that Israel's action in Gaza could amount to genocide and subsequently ordered Israel to use all its power to prevent genocidal acts, including preventing and punishing incitement to genocide and ensuring aid reaches the people of Gaza. However, with reports suggesting Israel was preparing to launch a military campaign in Rafah, where 1.4 million Palestinians have fled after being displaced from other parts of Gaza, South Africa submitted an urgent request for additional action, arguing that, quote, further large-scale killing would take place if the offensive were to happen. In its response, Israel said the military offensive in Rafah, in fact, has not happened. It also commented on Israel's recent rescue of two hostages from the city, in which 67 Palestinians were killed by accompanying bombing. It claimed South Africa's account of what took place was an outrageous distortion. Israel also pointed to remarks by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu that any potential Rafah offensive would only target Hamas. Israeli lawyers cited Israel's enduring commitment under international humanitarian law to minimize harm to civilians. Thanks for presenting the facts, Melissa. The round of spins begins with a pro-Palestine narrative coming from the conversation. After the ICJ ordered Israel to take steps to further prevent what could be constituted as genocide, there is little evidence to suggest the country has changed course. In fact, since the ruling, Israel has intensified its bombing and looks poised to attack Rafah, the last safe place in Gaza for civilians. South Africa is right to call on the court to take urgent action. And the Times of Israel brings us a pro-Israel narrative. The South African argument being presented at the ICJ is not only factually inaccurate but legally void. This whole request makes a mockery of the International Court and the Genocide Convention. It is Hamas that continues to flagrantly disregard international law by failing to return the Israeli hostages. 
The nerds from Metaculus say there's a 35% chance that the International Criminal Court will bring charges against a member of the Israeli government or Israeli Defense Force before 2027. According to a recent report, Israeli intelligence warns Hamas will survive the Gaza war. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Times of Israel, Fox News, Reuters, I-24 News, and Associated Press. Israeli media reported on Thursday that Israel's military intelligence warned the country's leaders that even if the military successfully dismantles Hamas in Gaza, it will survive as a guerrilla group. The intelligence report also claimed that Palestinians in Gaza will have, quote, authentic support for Hamas. The document was first discussed by figures within Israeli security apparatus last week before being reportedly shown to the country's political establishment on Monday. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has repeatedly said that Israel can defeat Hamas militarily. Meanwhile, Reuters reported on Friday that according to four sources in satellite imagery, Egypt is building a buffer zone on the Gaza border seemingly as a contingency plan to accommodate Palestinians in case an Israeli offensive into Rafah prompts a mass exodus from Gaza. Egypt, which denied reinforcing the border, has increasingly warned that an Israeli push into Rafah, in which some 1.5 million displaced Palestinians have sought refuge, could be a humanitarian and political disaster. Israel said civilians in Rafah would be evacuated before an offensive. A Palestinian from East Jerusalem carried out a shooting attack in southern Israel at Rayam Junction on Friday, killing two people and injuring four. Netanyahu said, quote, The entire country is on the front line and that attacks do not only come from Gaza. Gaza's health ministry reports that the conflict has killed nearly 29,000 people in the Strip, mainly women and children. The war has also created a rapidly deteriorating humanitarian situation. The official Israeli death toll on October 7th stands at around 1,200 people, and there are still over 100 hostages being held in Gaza. Thank you, Eric, for those facts. And here are the spins, starting with a pro-Palestine narrative from The Nation. Israel is losing its war in Gaza. After over three months and almost 30,000 dead Palestinians, Israel has failed to kill Hamas's top leaders or to create conditions advantageous to returning the hostages and ending this long, drawn-out conflict. Even if Israel did manage to achieve the majority of its war goals, it still would be left without a clear plan of action for the day after the war. Destroying a group like Hamas is a fool's errand, and Netanyahu has dug Israel into a hole that it will have a tough time climbing out of. Israel should accept a comprehensive ceasefire. Jerusalem Post follows up with a pro-Israel narrative. Though, of course, this war has not been easy. Israel has made steady progress in Gaza. As Israel's enemies should recognize, Israel's raw military power is not even up for debate, and the country will fight and negotiate as it sees fit to achieve its goals. Israel can continue this war for as long as needed, and Hamas must soften its demands and release the hostages if it wants to prevent a Rafah offensive. In UK special election, Labour flips two Conservative-held seats. Here are the facts as agreed upon by U.S. News & World Report, ABC News, BBC News, Yahoo, Politico, and The Independent. Britain's Labour Party flipped two seats held by Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's Conservative Party in Thursday's by-elections in Wellingborough and Kingswood. Results showed Jen Kitchen won Wellingborough in central England decisively, while Damien Egan took over the House of Commons seat in southwest England's Kingswood. According to BBC elections analyst John Curtis, the Wellingborough election resulted in the second-largest swing from the Conservatives to the Labour Party in nearly 80 years. 
The Labour Party's victory, according to party leader Sir Keir Starmer, was fantastic and indicates that people want change and trust Labour to bring it about. Conservative chairman Richard Holden called the results very disappointing, citing poor voter turnout in both districts. He said the Tories must try harder to persuade people to vote Conservative, adding that his party Tories can definitely win a general election. The Tory party's setbacks come as official data released on Thursday suggested Britain had entered a recession due to poor economic performance in the latter two quarters of 2023, with a general election looming before January 2025. Thanks, Melissa, for those facts. The first spin is Narrative A coming from Associated Press. With a national election coming up later this year, Sunak is desperate for a miracle. Sunak, the fifth conservative leader since 2016, was already trailing 10 to 20 points behind Labour in opinion polls over the past couple of years. Friday's results solidified how dire the situation is for the conservatives. And here's a narrative B from the New York Times. Labor looks on track for a big win in the general elections in a few months, but it shouldn't get too far ahead of itself. Israel's war in Gaza has reignited some systemic anti-Semitism within the party, which is the type of problem that could derail a party's best laid election plans. The nerds from Attaculus say there's a 95% chance the UK will have a Labour government before June 1st of 2030. Greece legalizes same-sex marriage. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, New York Times, Associated Press, Al Jazeera, and Reuters. Greece on Thursday became the first Orthodox Christian country to legalize same-sex marriage after its parliament voted 176 to 76 to approve a bill Prime Minister Kariakis Mitsotakis argued would, quote, boldly abolish a serious inequality. While the legislation gives same-sex couples equal parental rights, previously only the biological parents were recognized as a child's legal guardian and right to legally adopt children, It bans them from becoming parents through surrogacy or assisted reproduction. Mitsotaki said that Athens was, quote, proud to legislate marriage equality, which he deemed a milestone for human rights reflecting today's Greece, a progressive and democratic country, passionately committed to European values. The move was opposed by the Greek Orthodox Church, though several of his center-right governing party opposed the bill, which needed a simple majority to pass through the 300-seat parliament. It found the backing of the country's main opposition left-wing party, led by Stefanos Kasalakis, Greece's first gay political leader. Civil unions for same-sex couples have been allowed in Greece since 2015, while transgender people have had the right to change their legal gender since 2017. In 2022, the country banned all conversion practices carried out on children. Those were the facts. We'll begin with a narrative A from AP News. Thursday's vote was long overdue. It's a significant step for human rights, equality, and Greek society. By illegally safeguarding an invisible, marginalized community's rights, the legislation provides same-sex couples peace of mind on fundamental issues and protects children living in a state of precariousness. Narrative B comes from the Orthodox Times. Greece is a country of traditional family values and structures. Giving same-sex couples the right to wed and adopt children puts the rights of homosexual couples above the interests of children and will corrupt the country's social cohesion. The legislation is anti-Christian and, as it hurts national interests, it must be rolled back immediately. And there's a Narrative C on this story from Amnesty International. The legislation could be a welcome solution to same-sex families' problems, but it doesn't overturn crucial obstacles for homosexual couples who remain second-class citizens in their own country. 
While same-sex couples can now wed and adopt in Greece, they're denied the right to have a child through a surrogate. Moreover, the long and expensive adoption process makes it out of reach for many. And the nerds from Metaculus say there's a 1% chance that Greece will experience a civil war before 2036. Jeez, where'd that come from? I don't know. <laughs> so left field. U.S. Border Patrol's deputy chief is suspended for alleged misconduct. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Washington Post and CNN. U.S. Customs Border Protection, or CBP, suspended acting Border Patrol Deputy Chief Joel Martinez on Thursday for alleged misconduct. CBP spokesperson Aaron Waters confirmed. CBP did not further elaborate on the case, citing privacy laws. Martinez was not arrested, but Waters said the agency does not tolerate misconduct within our ranks. Waters added that CBP immediately refers any potential misconduct for investigation as soon as it's discovered. Martinez was named second-in-command of Border Patrol in January after previously serving as the chief of the Laredo, Texas sector. He also held leadership positions in CBP's Rio Grande Valley and Big Bend sectors. CBP is the U.S.'s largest federal law enforcement agency with more than 60,000 officers, agents, and other personnel, and Border Patrol is one of CBT's two main branches. CBP completed more than 800 internal investigations into alleged misconduct in 2022, resulting in 18 arrests, 10 convictions, and 152 administrative sanctions. Melissa, thank you for the facts. The first spin is a left narrative. It's coming from Bloomberg News. Considering the stories of misconduct that are constantly emerging from Border Patrol, it's no surprise that someone of authority is facing allegations of misconduct. The number of investigations CBP has conducted shows there are systemic issues that must be addressed with Border Patrol. And the Daily Wire brings us a right narrative. No one knows what Martinez did, but it's more likely he was doing his best to protect the U.S. from the invasion at the southern border that the Biden administration refuses to stop. While millions of illegal migrants are flooding the U.S., it seems the government only wants to punish those tasked with enforcing immigration law. In our next story, tech companies pledge to fight AI election interference. The facts are agreed upon by Reuters, NBC, PBS NewsHour, and USA Today. Twenty tech companies, including OpenAI, Microsoft, Adobe, Meta, X, formerly Twitter, and TikTok, have pledged to prevent artificial intelligence, or AI, from interfering in elections across the world this year. The pledge, which is voluntary, includes a promise to create tools to help discern AI-generated images from real ones and be transparent with the public when any notable developments occur. The signatories of the pledge, which also include Google, Amazon, and IBM, said they would target technology that can create, quote, deceptively fake or alter the appearance, voice, or actions of political candidates, election officials, and any other key stakeholders. Efforts to combat AI schemes will include launching public awareness campaigns on AI deception and teaching voters how to detect fraudulent materials. The companies also said they would work to remove such content from their platforms. This year will see the largest number of people ever head to the polls throughout the world, including elections in the U.S., India, and Mexico. However, most countries, except to some extent in the EU, have yet to pass laws on mitigating AI risks. Thanks for those facts, Eric. Here's the left narrative from OPB News. While big tech may have begun to fortify their technology against election meddling, the risks of hateful and violent content alongside deepfakes are greater than ever before. This is partly because of these companies' pledge to rein in existing technology. 
They continue to release new products that need even more complex safeguards. Misinformation must be stopped before it impacts voters, and this is only a small first step. The right narrative comes from Fox News. Most Americans want to feel safe from the risks of AI. But giving big tech, and thus their friends in the Democratic Party, the power to oversee election-related information will not ensure freedom or fairness. The companies pledging to safeguard democracy are the same ones that suppressed the Hunter Biden laptop story and kicked conservatives off social media for their political views. They should not be given any further power. OpenAI launches a text-to-video tool. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, The New York Times, The New York Post, NBC, The Washington Post, and The Wall Street Journal. OpenAI, the company behind the artificial intelligence model ChatGPT, Thursday unveiled Sora, which, named after the Japanese word for sky, can generate videos up to one minute long from text prompts. During a demonstration, OpenAI released minute-long Hollywood-quality videos, including one showing a woolly mammoth running through the snow and one with a scene from the streets of Tokyo. The Tokyo video was generated from a simple text prompt requesting a bustling city street, people enjoying the beautiful snowy weather, and gorgeous sakura petals flying through the wind along with snowflakes. As part of Sora's release, OpenAI CEO Sam Altman asked followers to submit prompt ideas on X, formerly Twitter. This led to several creative videos, including two golden retrievers podcasting on top of a mountain. In an effort to limit bad actors from using Sora to make hateful content, misinformation, or fake videos known as deepfakes, OpenAI had experts test Sora to find ways it could possibly be misused. This comes as Google is testing its own text-to-video tool called Lumiere. Meta created one called Emu, and Runway AI is working to use its products to help filmmakers. Melissa, thank you for the facts. We begin this round of spins with Narrative A coming from Gizmodo. OpenAI is again ahead of the curve. The quality of these videos is astounding, especially since the same footage would have taken hours for a human film crew or animator to produce. OpenAI is also being careful because of the political issues these videos could cause. That's why it won't be released to the public until anti-deception tools have been finalized. The Wall Street Journal brings us a narrative B. OpenAI says it's developing anti-deepfake safeguards, but how much can the company be trusted considering the deepfakes that have been created using other technology? Social media companies keep saying they'll create safeguards, but so far, nothing has come of these promises. The Maneater gives us a cynical narrative. OpenAI claims it wants to make the world better, but if it did, it wouldn't be stealing human-made art to train its product or outsourcing work to underpaid laborers overseas. OpenAI might be creating cool technology, but its real goal seems to be to become just another lucratively compensated Silicon Valley tech company. And the nerds have the final word today with the last nerd narrative saying there's a 50% chance that an original, wholly AI-generated feature film will rank number one on popular streaming services by August 14th, 2028. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Saturday, February 17th, 2024. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. Find out more at Verity.news. You can download the Verity app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Melissa Topshire, I'm Eric Steiner, inviting you to join us next time on the Verity Podcast.